Good morning. My name is Brian, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. Um, we'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 3, verse 16, through chapter 4, verse 1. You can follow along on the screen, or in the YouVersion app, uh, or in your journal, or in whatever other scripture means you can find. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 16. The Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. In that day the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings and nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness, and instead of a belt, a rope, and instead of well-set hair, baldness, and instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth, and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty men in battle, and her gates shall lament and mourn empty. She shall sit on the ground. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. Thanks, Brian. Wasn't that a really nice way to start the message? <laughs> Aren't you really encouraged by that this morning? I don't even have to preach. This is great. <laughs> uh, my name is Eric, and as Claudia already mentioned, I'm excited to bring the word today. Uh, we are in a summer series working through the first few chapters of Isaiah called Tried and Truth. And there was a theologian uh, in the late 90s, two of them actually, uh, named uh, Puff Daddy and Biggie Smalls, uh, who, uh, who kind of came up with a... Um, uh, just kind of a, a theological concept, kind of understanding of, of a worldview. Um, they penned a, a song, actually, to express it. It is called Mo Money, Mo Problems. And, um, yeah, it was, it was disturbing to someone like me who, uh, you know, I was still pretty young and trying to figure out life and was like, wait a second, these men that I respect so much, they're telling me that the more money I come across, the more problems I see. Like... That doesn't make sense. Money is supposed to take away your problems, but the more that they had, the more problems that they had. Now, I never really have had a ton of money, so I can't really confirm the hypothesis, but Biggie Smalls was murdered shortly thereafter, you know, so <laughs> I guess it's probably, probably right, you know. I, I put some stock into that, Claude. I just want you to know. <laughs> What we're talking about uh, in the, the book of Isaiah, in fact, these, this chapter actually uh, kind of goes along the concept, the concept that the things that this world uh, would provide for you, the things that you would want to take hope in, the things that you would uh, use as security and stability uh, will actually be crushed underneath the weight of life. And Claude talked about that last week. He challenged us concerning what we lean on. And this week, our text picks up right where uh, that left off. Uh, the nation of Judah had been called out by Isaiah because 
they were really, really good at keeping up appearances. So they were very good at looking like they loved the Lord, uh, looking like they were worshiping the way that God had asked them to. Uh, they knew the religious things to do in order to look like uh, they were doing everything right. Uh, but inside, their heart uh, was far from him. And so Isaiah sees that and prophesies against uh, people who are keeping up appearances, the religiosity of keeping up appearances. Uh, these people actually attended religious festivals. They knew what rituals to participate in. They knew when the calendar said to go to church, to go to church. Uh, when the calendar said to go out and help the, the poor, they would do that. Uh, however, God notices that uh, exterior, the exterior was okay, but the interior of their life uh, was broken. And so we saw last week that their lack of concern for God's involvement in their life had led them uh, to have everything taken away. God kind of took away everything that Judah would rely on for stability. Things like food and water and uh, military uh, kind of defense, national defense, leadership. Things that we still rely on today uh, for stability. And you can notice something in here that those things themselves aren't bad things. So God isn't removing food and water and national defense and leadership uh, from their lives because those things are sinful. They're actually very good gifts that Judah is finding comfort in rather than God's protection. Have you ever tried to find comfort in something that wasn't the protection of God and maybe wasn't even connected to the things of God? Um, if Isaiah were listing things that I find comfort in, the list may start and end uh, with things that have saturated fats in them. Unfortunately, just if I can, if I can be honest here, I fall firmly in the, the category of like comfort eater, you know, autopilot eater. Um, has anyone, you don't have to raise your hand, this is embarrassing, but maybe you can join in my pain. Has anyone ever eaten a whole bag of Doritos, just all, all by yourself, and you didn't even know you did it? Ah, oh, Dan, thank you. Yeah, he's, like, he's like two hands, nice and proud. You don't even know you do it. That's the problem with eating Doritos. It's like you're just kind of watching TV and you're on autopilot and all of a sudden the bag's empty and you're looking around and trying to blame somebody. You know, like, what, what is happening? And so you put the bag away and I, I take it a step further. The very next day I go into the cupboard looking for the same bag and I'm like, who ate all these Doritos? What is happening? You know, and get mad at my son, you know, of course. And that's why you have kids. You can put the blame on, <laughs> on them. Uh, it's like autopilot, isn't it? Um, Aldi has these uh, peanut butter filled pretzels. Uh, and uh, don't purchase them. They're like heroin. It's really, really bad. I physically tell my hand not to put it in the bag and, and put it to your mouth, and my hand just does it anyway. It's so crazy. It really, it's crazy how much, uh, you know, your appetites are just kind of all-consuming. And so the question that we have this morning, not just with food, but in all of the appetites of life go like this. Why are we consumed by our appetites? Why are we consumed by our appetites? Now, not just food, as I mentioned, but those things that our body just naturally craves. In fact, I had to look up the, the definition of appetite just so I could wrap my mind around it. It's a noun. Uh, it says, a natural desire to satisfy a bodily need, especially for food. I believe the answer to that question is because it doesn't take much to appease our appetites, right? 
They kind of take priority. They're kind of the loudest things, uh, either when your stomach growls, so physically loud, uh, but also just the cravings that you get. Uh, they're like the loudest things in your life, and so you address them. You physically have to eat, right? And so uh, it's one of those things that you don't really mind too much, just kind of indulging. But I think that because you can indulge them, you can be consumed by your appetites on autopilot, it doesn't take much effort. I believe that that's the reason why it's so easy for us to be consumed by our appetites. And if we're not intentional about what our priorities are, the appetites of our lives will then get the best of us. Again, remember what, what uh, God is saying to Isaiah. The things that are consuming them are not necessarily bad things. They're not things that are sinful in and of themselves, but left to our own devices, we turn them into things that we rely on rather than the concern and comfort that God would provide. So we're going to be talking about another natural desire this morning, another appetite today from this text. And uh, the text shows us that the appetites that consume us come in some very subtle forms, very, very subtle forms. Now, uh, if I can just peel back a, a little layer from Judah's issues, we can reveal the priorities that this text would say. And it begins and ends with one word in verse 16. Let's look at verse 16 and 17 again together if we can. The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk without stretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads and the daughters of Zion. And the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. Quick, before we begin to dissect what, this, what these verses mean, I think it's important uh, to become aware of what Isaiah is not saying here as compared to what he is saying before we get into that. First of all, he's not being misogynistic. He's not singling out uh, women alone, singling out the sins of females alone uh, in that culture, in that nation. The nation of the people of God uh, were very often um, called uh, a mother, uh, a feminine reference. And so uh, your, the nation of Israel or Judah would be like your, your mother. And so what Isaiah really means to say is like mother, like daughter. Again, he's not being misogynistic by any means. He's saying all of you are guilty of that, but he's implying that just as the, the daughters are, so the mother is, like mother, like daughter. The other thing is that he's not condemning the practice of having nice things, wearing jewelry, makeup, fancy outfits, those things like that. Uh, Brian was joking earlier about how we're going to just have everybody take off your, your uh, jewelry and all that stuff and put it away because it's sinful. Uh, that's, that's not it. Different cultures, past and present, have actually used this chapter as a proof text to kind of uh, gain their personal agenda and therefore misrepresent what uh, Isaiah actually is saying, what God has to say to Judah through Isaiah. And so take comfort today if you're wearing a scarf or a jewelry or whatever it is. Uh, you're, not, uh, you're not sinful by any means. In fact, uh, I'll say this. This is critical to our understanding of the text today. The problem with Judah wasn't the things that they acquired, but the spirit in which they acquired it. I'll say it again. The problem wasn't uh, the things that they acquired, but the spirit in which they acquired it. And so the entire passage and the resulting message can be traced back to one word in that first verse, and that word is haughty. Haughty. Uh, and therein lies the issue. It's the one word, it's the one uh, adjective to describe everything else that's going on in this passage. So we need to understand what that word means, what it indicates, and uh, actually what it looks like in our lives as well. Uh, it's a Hebrew word. Uh, it's called gaba. 
I'm saying that wrong, Claude. I'm sorry. Claude's the Hebrew expert here. Uh, but it's a word that indicates height. So when he says that the, uh, the daughters uh, of, of uh, Judah are um, haughty, what he's saying is that they are uh, trying to be loftier than anybody else or anything else. And so they're trying to get as high as they possibly can. If we use English vernacular, uh, we would probably say that they're better than everybody else. They're trying to be, or they appear to be better than everybody else. Uh, Isaiah 55 says, as high as the heavens, as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. That's the word gaba. Uh, so he uses it to talk about actual height. Uh, Job 35, the clouds are higher than we are, and he uses the word gabah. So oftentimes when that word is used, it's not talking about um, you know, the way that, that you act. It's, a, it's the way that you think you are. So you think you're higher than anybody else. You think you can look down on somebody else based on who they are or what they have or based on who you are and what you have. And so at the end of the day, these people were arrogant. Our, our translation says haughty, but you can use arrogant. You can use prideful. And at the end of the day, they were judged as a result. But here's the deal. If we begin to think this through to its logical conclusion, haughtiness is a very tricky thing. Because once we become aware of the poison of, of haughtiness or pride, we begin to notice it all around us. In fact, I titled the message today, Humility, uh, so that we can figure out what it looks like to combat this idea of gaba, haughtiness. So we see pride in other people. The tricky thing is that it's hard to see it in us. We can see it on Instagram and in our Instagram feeds or when our coworker, coworkers begin to talk about their weekend, we see, hey, you're being prideful about that. You're being arrogant. You think you're better than me because of the things you experience. Uh, you know, when you go to school and your friends begin to one-up you uh, com and compare uh, who had the better vacation, you know, that kind of stuff. You think, man, what the heck? I, I didn't go around the world, but that's okay. Uh, I still had fun. And they look up, they look down at you. They're being gaba, they're being haughty, and you can spot it a mile away in somebody else, can't you? You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they would act that way. Who do they think they are? So then what happens? We then vow that we're not going to be like that, that we're not going to be like that person or kind of fall victim to their trap that they're setting for us of pride. And the reality is that when we do that, we take pride in how much better we are than that person, right? Because we're not prideful, we're better than them. All of a sudden, we're gaba because we're not like them. And see how the contradiction would begin to uh, unfold. It's an endless cycle. We say things like this, man, pride is ugly and it is gross in other people. And then as a result, we say, listen, we would never act that way. And then as a result, we're so proud because we would never act that way that we wind up in the same trap that we are being um, kind of judgmental about. And even if, if we're not careful, even the exercise of examining our own hearts for pride uh, can lead to being prideful in how self-aware we are, right? It's like, oh, those guys are like that because they're not like me. I, I examine my heart on a daily basis, hallelujah. And so I would never be like that. And we get prideful even because of the way that we're self-aware of the pride in our life. And so it's like, we can't win for losing, can we? I first noticed this kind of inconsistency in my own life uh, in Facebook, <laughs> uh, when I would see people uh, kind of talking about political things. Politics aren't really my thing. Uh, but in one post in particular, I saw somebody uh, get really, really angry uh, at a certain politician because they 
hate people that aren't like them. And so this post said, I hate this politician. You know why? Because they hate people that disagree with them, right? And I'm thinking here, wait a second, you're telling me you hate someone that doesn't agree with you because they hate someone that doesn't agree with them. Don't you see like you're doing the exact same thing and all of a sudden I got really, really irate. I'm like, wait, don't you understand? And I'm getting upset about all this stuff. You know, I'm like, man, I don't like that you made that post. And I might have even said, I don't even like you, you know. And I had to stop and realize what is going on. Like, I'm doing the exact same thing that I'm judging this person for because they're judging somebody else for that thing. And it's this endless cycle. It's this endless cycle. So I wanted to reply, don't you see how that makes zero sense by posting something like that? But the Holy Spirit kind of said, you know what? You're making zero sense right now. So this is a universal issue. It's not just because people are far, far from God or they're using certain things for stability in their life or they're just not getting it right when it comes to theology. This is a universal issue. Every single person who has ever breathed air into their lungs has had to deal with this. It's a built-in appetite, if I can say it that way. It's a built-in appetite that begins to consume us because we autopilot it. It's like going for the bag of Doritos. You know, we're, we're just not paying attention to kind of what we're eating and what we're doing, and we're autopiloting the pride, the haughtiness of our lives. Now, here's the deal. It kind of sounds at this point like I'm trying to present an argument that being arrogant and prideful is a bad thing. But you already know that, right? You already know that, that it's a bad thing, and so you have a right to ask something like this. Is this what we're talking about today? <laughs> Are we talking about pride? Because I already knew that, and I am a super busy person. I could have been doing a lot of other things during this time. So if this sermon is about not being prideful, check. I got gotcha. you. I'm prideful. I have to deal with it. I have to move on. Let's go. Now, you would have a right to ask that question, um, but I want you to know that this isn't a message about pride being bad as much as it is a warning about pride being subtle, very subtle. It's a warning that haughtiness, that arrogance, that pride doesn't look the way you think it looks in your own life. It doesn't look the way I think it looks in my own life. But if we're not careful, that natural appetite will consume us the way it consumed Judah. If I can pull back the curtain a little bit, I was kind of processing these things with uh, Karen, Pastor Karen, the children's pastor downstairs. She's preaching a a similar message. And uh, she came up with a great resource. She found a quote uh, from a guy that we both really respect. um, And I'm just going to steal it from her because she stole it from somebody else. And that's the way it goes. So it's not me waxing poetic, but I put it up on the screen. Uh, It's a guy by the name of Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York City. He says this, pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It silently and slowly kills you without you even knowing it. It's the car- I love that imagery. It's the carbon monoxide of sin. It silently and slowly kills you without you even knowing it. Like we said before, it's really easy to spot pride in somebody else's life. I could say, hey, rich man, look it. I saw you a mile away. What's going on? But for me... I can't see it at all because I have excuses for my arrogance or for my haughtiness. And I don't even see it as such. But when I plow through that bag of Doritos, it's silently and slowly killing me, right? Judah and and her desire was to feed its pride appetite. And so we already discussed uh, how Judah uh, had a knack for knowing how to look really good uh, and to play the part. 
And so as a result of Judah's pride, we get this list of things that the Lord will take away from them. These sources of pride for these folks who like to look good. So follow along with me in verse 18 again. We'll read through 23. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings and nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. Now, many scholars believe that this isn't uh, this is a list that's not an actual invoice of items that Judah took pride in, right? It's not like Judah say, Isaiah is saying to Judah, hey, you are too proud of your anklets, <laughs> you know, or your sashes or whatever it would be. Uh, this actually, they stand in as metaphors for the things that a nation can find its identity in, the things that a nation can kind of uh, take pride in and say, this is who we are. This is why we're better than the nations around us. And if you'll notice, these are all things that can be put on, things that cover your personage in order to enhance the way that you look. And so a nation can say, hey, look at our military prowess or look at our financial coffers or whatever the the pride nationalistically, whatever it is, it serves as a metaphor for the things that we find identity in apart from God. And again, I, I hope you're not worried about whether this text is saying you shouldn't take pride in how you look. It's not what we're saying at all. You should take pride uh, in, in what you look and you can throw on a scarf and jewelry and all those things. Remember, the point isn't the stuff. It's what we put on in order to stand out to be noticed above anybody else. So my question is, what do you put on to enhance how you look to others? What do you put on? I'm not talking about your physical accoutrements. I'm asking the question, do we put on the appearance of being super parent? Do we say, if I can just have my kids looking the part and have them all together, then people will know that I am better than they are. Or maybe we put on the appearance of being the smartest in the room at work or at school. And the grades that we get or the job that, that uh, we receive or, uh, you know, the review that we get from our bosses, whatever that would be, maybe those are the things that we put on so that other people will notice, hey, I'm better than you are. <laughs> I'm better than you in whatever area it may be. Man, this is subtle and this is confession time. You know how bad uh, this is? About two years ago, uh, the Bible app built in a, a streak uh, kind of indicator into its main page. You can see how many days in a row you've read your Bible, right? Or at least you've opened up the Bible app. And today I'm at 686 days in a row. Maybe not reading the Bible, but opening the app. Just, just so you know, uh, I've opened the app 686 times. There have been way more days than I like to admit where it's been like 1145. And I'm like, dang, I got 15 minutes to open up that app before I go to bed, you know. Uh, in fact, uh, Claude and I, we uh, climbed high peaks last year. We actually climbed five high peaks in one day. And I was kind of eyeing the time. And right around the fourth peak, <laughs> I said, dang, what if we get back and it's too late, you know, and we're too tired to actually read the Bible. And so on the fourth peak, I opened up the Bible app, had no reception really, but I'm like, if I open it, maybe my phone will know, you know. And sure enough, it did because I'm at 686 right now, you know. I will guarantee I did not read a verse of the Bible that day. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. However, the Bible app was open and I can take pride. 600, how many days does your Bible app say right now? That's what I want to know. <laughs> 
Man, how ugly is that pride? How ugly is that pride in my life? It's the carbon monoxide of pride. It's that thing that we don't even notice in our lives until it destroys, it consumes us from the inside out. Man, you will just autopilot pride. You will autopilot arrogance until it consumes you to its very core unless, unless you can do something about it. And so uh, we see in verses 24 to the end of our passage today uh, that what you, can, what you will do when you put on all that jewelry and all the finery is that you will look the part and then work as hard as you possibly can to push everybody else down so that you maintain your status as being the highest and most important person in your room, in your life, whatever the situation would look like. Let's look at these verses together if we can. Here's the indictment. Here's what Isaiah says. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. And instead of a belt, a rope. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. Oh, that hits close to home. Instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle. And her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty, she shall sit on the ground. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. You can wear, you can put on as many things as you want, but at the end of the day, uh, it cannot take away our reproach. At the end of the day, we're still the flawed human beings that we try not to be. And what Isaiah is saying is, if you put your hope into these things, the, the opposite will happen. And to me, man, this is a perfect description of what happens when pride is left to fester and we're left to our own devices. The very thing that we want pride to do for us will actually be the reverse instead. Now, it's probably not you, but you probably know somebody on social media uh, who is haughty because of how passionate and convincing they are in their political position, right? And when they're passionate about their political position and uh, they're very convincing about it, other people actually find it annoying and offensive, right? Now, they might think, hey, I'm, I'm doing a, a great job. Well, really, instead of perfume, they'll be rottenness. Now, I'm not saying that being passionate about politics is a sinful thing, is a bad thing. But what I am saying is when we put that on to be the best in the room, to be the most important person that we can, that we can be compared to other people, instead of perfume, there'll be rottenness. When we become haughty because we put on independence, we say, we don't need anyone. We don't need anyone in our life. And we go around telling everybody else about how we don't need anybody in our life. Uh, instead of well-set hair, it's, it's baldness, right? The reality is, is that pride will, will make us think that we are beautiful, that we are doing the things that God would want us to do, looking the part uh, that makes us look better than everybody else, but in reality, it's consuming us. It's destroying us. And instead of those things that we will uh, hold on to, they will be destroyed. They'll be destroyed. Isaiah 4.1, seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, we'll eat our own bread, wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name, take away our reproach. This is an imagery about uh, what happens when a nation is destroyed. It's uh, in that culture, men went off to battle, and when the men got, uh, were destroyed, the, men, the, the husbands 
were there to provide for uh, the clothing and the food for their wife and for their children. That was their role uh, in that culture. And so what they're saying is, what these women are saying is, hey, we'll, we'll, do, we'll take care of ourselves. Just call us by your name. Take away our reproach. The thing that I was relying on for my own life, it's, it's not working. And so I have to do something to take away my reproach. And pride is that thing that seems to produce the opposite result that you wished it would in your life. And man, if you are tempted to point at Judah and disparage them uh, for um, the things that they have done, the truth is that you're doing the same thing and you're declaring yourself better than they are. Just like I declared myself better than this, this person that, that posted on social media and realized I am worse, I am far worse. <laughs> More often than not, it points to this issue of gaba in our lives when we uh, get really, really annoyed at the people in our, our world. I'll, I'll ask you the question just straight up. Have you been getting really annoyed with the people in your world lately? Do you find people just, just unbelievably or unbearably annoying? It could be an indicator that there's gaba happening in your life, that there's haughtiness happening. Because what happens is... Uh, you will begin to use the people in your life to climb up to the top. Listen, there's only room at the top for one, right? There's only room at the top for one person to be on the throne, okay? And if it's not going to be God, it's going to be you. It can't be anybody else. So if anybody else dares infringe on your time or your energy or your resources, whatever it would look like, then you have to get really annoyed with those people because they're trying to take your position of gaba. But the fact of the matter is, is that all of us are trying to claw our way. Without the gospel of Jesus, we're all trying to claw our way to that one spot. And so we have to get irritated and annoyed with people. We have to get frustrated with them. We have to put on our best face at work. We don't want to get fired. But man, you really just want to like throw punch <laughs> that person, right? Now, people are annoying. And I'm not saying that everything is a result of your sin in your own life by any means. But what I am saying is that this is a moment for us to reflect if we say, well, Judah, they were messed up, it's probably because we see that in our own lives as well. So then this would be the point of the message here where the preacher would lay out some practical options for you to start living in humility and, and drop that pride and lower that position of Gaba. But guess what? I don't have anything like that. <laughs> Sorry. All right, let's, let's go home and talk about how terrible we are. I have none of that uh, practical advice for you to start living in humility. And the reason is, is because there's no practical steps to achieving humility, right? Because if there were a three-point approach to it, you'd take pride in how you checked off those three points, right? I did it. I'm so humble. Look at me. I think there's a, uh, there's a verse where uh, Moses is, is attributed to the uh, writing of the Pentateuch, right? And he says, Moses was the, the most humble man who ever lived. I'm like, wait a second. Can you really declare yourself the most humble person who ever lived? Like, it's funny how that works. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you uh, can, can check off the 10 steps, right? Uh, the 10 steps to earning and achieving humility, well, then you have nothing to be humble about. You can brag about that. You can take pride in those things. If you could achieve or earn humility, you'd be so proud that you'd probably have to start over and the endless cycle would continue again. You would just be spinning your wheels. You'd be in that rat race over and over again. Working hard at being humble is the tried, right? But the gospel is the truth. And here's what happens. Here's the reason why. Because humility doesn't 
isn't achieved through the work that we do. Humility is actually the byproduct of believing in the gospel of Jesus. I'll say it again. Humility is the byproduct of believing in the gospel of Jesus. We gain humility and we defeat pride not by working hard to overcome it, but by resting in the promises that the gospel would declare over our lives. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news today? I don't know all of your stories this morning, but I suspect that I'm speaking just to some tired people. Not tired like I didn't want to get out of bed this morning, although that could be as well. I'm, I'm talking about just tired of striving and, and working so hard like you're spinning your own wheels, but you're going backward and not forward. Maybe you've asked the question like, God, does it have to be this difficult? Why are things so difficult in my life? I'm just tired. I'm worn out from trying to strive, from trying to achieve, trying to put on appearances the way Judah did. Humility is the byproduct of believing in the gospel of Jesus. But how does that happen? How is that byproduct uh, kind of produced? Well, the truth of the matter is, is the gospel is the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, willingly left his throne in heaven to be born in a humble manger. The Bible says that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son so that if you believe, you won't die, you won't perish, but you will have everlasting life. The gospel is that Jesus loves you regardless of how hard you've worked, regardless of how much you have hurt people to try to get to the top, regardless of how broken your life seems and feels in this moment. Jesus loves you. He thought of you when he chose to be born in humility, to live in humility, and to die in humility. And believing in the gospel of Jesus creates this byproduct of humility because we see Jesus not prioritizing himself but humbling himself and taking on the punishment for our haughtiness. And when we see that, we realize, wow, my hope isn't based on the things that I can earn, the things that I can do, but it's on the work that Jesus has already done for me. And when we really begin to understand that, then striving begins to cease. Our performance doesn't even matter. Uh, we get confidence from the love of Christ, not from working through the three steps or the 10 points or whatever it would, it would uh, be in our lives. And it frees us, guys. It frees us from always having to look at ourselves. I think that's good news. When we understand the gospel, it frees us from looking at ourselves and looking at where I am compared to somebody else. Aren't you just really, really tired of comparing yourself to the people around you? Even if you feel like, ha uh, I am not better than those, per those people. Wow, in fact, I am much worse. We are still fall into that comparison trap. But what the gospel does is say, I don't have to look at myself. Because of Jesus, I can uh, fix my eyes on him. And as a result, I am freed from that because Jesus was willing to humble himself. I am free from having to stand out in order to be seen. So if I'm not looking at myself constantly and how I compare to the people around me, in other words, if my priority isn't feeding the appetite of arrogance and pride, then I'm free to invest in the world around me. I'm free to say, hey, listen, I'm going to leverage my time, my talent, my treasure, so that other people who are marginalized and broken can experience the same grace and joy that I have. 
we're free to invest in the world around us. Uh, you've received uh, this bookmark. In fact, as we transition into a time of worship in response to the word, uh, there's a question that's on the top of the bookmark. It's going to be on the screen as well. The bookmark says, when this week will I evaluate my priorities? When will I evaluate my priorities in this week? Remember, we talked about how subtle pride can be. We can't just combat it by telling ourselves that we're going to do better, that we're going to try harder, that we're going to work at this thing called humility. We have to say, okay, what are my priorities? If my priorities begin and end with me, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble because not only will I not achieve the joy and the hope that I'm trying to by getting to the top, but I'll also suffer the consequences of not putting God at the center of my existence, the center of who I am. And so when I say, when will I evaluate my priorities this week? What I'm really saying is, what would it look like for me to take a back seat to what God would have for my life? And so you can read through these questions. You don't have to answer them now. We're going to go into a time of reflection momentarily. I'm going to pray. We're going to spend some time uh, in song, just, just giving to God all that we have. But if God isn't first in our lives right now, then the, the tendency for us to be gaba, to be to the heights that we can possibly be, will lead us to broken relationships because we have to use them to get to where we want to be. Where am I currently investing my time if it's, if it's not helping people, loving people, caring for the people God has placed in my world? There's good news today. The story's not over. The story's just beginning for you. The gospel says uh, that today God's mercies are new every morning. And so you can ask, when can I leverage my time toward God and others this week? And we'll continue on with your talent and your treasure. Where can I leverage those things for God and for other people? As we conclude our time uh, in the words, we transition into to song. I'd love for you just to bow your heads and close your eyes in this moment. I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to pray that uh, pride would be uh, eradicated in your life. But I'm going to pray that we would be aware of the pride in our lives. And yes, we do want arrogance and haughtiness eradicated, of course. But that happens not when we decide uh, to just take it apart, but when we lean into the gospel. And so, Heavenly Father, today I, I thank you that you have placed inside of your word the hope that we need for our lives. I thank you, Lord God, that you love us enough to show us what pride, arrogance, and haughtiness look like, Lord God, but that you love us so much that you didn't uh, leave us there or give us uh, a, a bunch of steps to try to figure out how to get out. But Jesus, you did the work that we could never do so that as we believe, as we trust, as we put our hope in you, O oh God, that the gospel comes alive in us. And we begin to, to be humbled by the fact that the creator of the universe would go to a cross for us, for a sinner such as I. I pray that, that uh, the awareness of the gospel would rise up in us in this moment, oh God. And Father, that we would respond to making you our priority. I pray, Jesus, that as you are our number one, as you are the only thing we're striving for, oh God, that the people in our world would be transformed and changed because we are free to take our eyes off ourselves and love the people that God has placed in our world. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for being the God of second chances. And we worship you in this moment. Be glorified in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.